Well, today we are going to look at the ninth Psalm, verses 1 and 2. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible and hold your place, we will uh, read it here in just a minute or two. The ninth Psalm is a Psalm of David, uh, of David and Goliath fame. According to theologian Donald Williams, this ninth Psalm was written by David while he was in the midst of crisis, in the midst of crisis. The ninth Psalm itself seems to confirm that as later in the chapter, David writes, consider my trouble from those who hate me, you lift me up from the gates of death. So David wrote this Psalm acutely aware of being in a situation where he was hated by his enemies, and he wrote the psalm feeling as though he had been pushed to the very gates of death. He was under threat. He was in a crisis. The ninth psalm, and specifically these first two verses that we're looking at today, are a psalm of praise to God. In the context of being hated, in the context of feeling pushed to the very gates of death, in crisis, David pens a psalm of praise to God. It's a wonderful thing. While our circumstances are vastly different from David's, I have no doubt that many of us here today, perhaps most of us, uh, can relate to David. We can relate to the context that David found himself in. Perhaps you're here today acutely aware that you are on the receiving end of someone's disdain for you. Someone doesn't like you. Maybe you're even here today aware that there is someone who it would only be right to say that they, they hate you. You don't know why, to the best of your ability to examine yourself, you, you don't understand why they would have these feelings toward you, but they do. Perhaps you've even tried to resolve the problem, but you haven't found in the other person a willing partner to, to try to work through the issues, and so you are just left on the receiving end of someone's anger, on the receiving end of someone's dislike, uh, on the receiving end of someone's hatred. Some of us here today probably feel as though we are being pushed to the gates of death. Maybe a physical concern, a chronic health problem, a recent diagnosis has, uh, diagnosis has left you acutely aware of your own mortality. And maybe you're having a hard time not becoming obsessive about the thought of your own mortality. Of course, you don't even have to have a chronic health issue or a new diagnosis to struggle with thoughts of your own mortality. Some of us, from time to time, we will think about this and it'll, it'll become a problem for us. Some people have an inordinate uh, uh, fear of and focus on uh, their mortality. Without doubt, many of us here today, probably most of us, are facing some type of crisis in our lives. Maybe there is a financial crisis for you. Maybe there is a relational crisis for you. Maybe a child or a parent or a sibling has hurt you in some way. Or maybe they're hurting themselves in some way that's causing you incredible pain because you are so deeply affected and so deeply worrying about their physical, emotional, or spiritual well-being. 
In crisis, David wrote a psalm of praise to God. In crisis, David praised God. And in crisis, we are to praise God. In crisis, we praise God. There is never a moment in life when praise of God isn't inappropriate and even necessary response. Because God is always worthy of praise. When life is going well, God is worthy of praise. When life is not going well, God is worthy of praise. When everything in our lives are as they should be, God is worthy of praise. And when we are in the middle of the worst crisis of our lives, God is worthy of praise. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible this morning. And here's what Psalm 9, 1 and 2 says. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. In the midst of crisis, at the gates of death, David writes that he will praise God, quote, with my whole heart, unquote. In spite of his circumstances, he offers whole heart praise to God. Whole heart praise is praise that engages the mind and the memory. David is not talking about rote praise. He's not talking about generic praise. He's not talking about mindlessly sending up meaningless platitudes to God. Whole heart praise is praise that engages the mind. It taps into the memory It emerges from conscious reflection on the reasons that God is to be praised. This is whole heart praise. And whole heart praise is praise that is unrestrained and joyful. Whole heart praise is praise that overflows from a person because they are so impressed by God that they cannot restrain themselves And so from deep in their spirit, from deep in their heart, it just overflows. Joy overflows into praise of God. Whole heart praise is praise that celebrates God without concern for how we appear to other people. Celebrates God with joy that is genuine, not some sort of forced expression of joy that couldn't fool the most gullible person. But David is in crisis. He is at the gates of death, feeling pushed to the gates of death. He is hated by his enemies. How in the midst of that does he find rational reasons to praise God? How does he keep his mind engaged and praise God? You you, you know, one of the complaints of Unbelievers the world over is that they look at things and they say, oh, this is just all bad. 
how, how can I even believe in God, much less praise God? It just all looks bad to me. David is in crisis. He, he's pushed to the gates of death. What he sees around him is bad. How in the midst of that does he find reasons to pray that aren't disengaging the mind, but are from engaging the mind? Rational reasons to praise God. How in the midst of that can he, over, can, can he uh, overflow into unrestrained and joyful praise? How does he do that? The text tells us. David can offer whole heart praise to God in crisis because whole heart praise occurs when we remember all of God's marvelous works. For David, even though trouble visited his life often, the trouble had served to teach him that God was always with him in the trouble. And even in the midst of the trouble, he had seen God do marvelous things. He had seen God deliver him from a lion and a bear. Not just deliver him, but actually empower him to personally kill a lion and a bear. He had seen God choose him above all of his seemingly more qualified brothers to be the future king of Israel. Depending on the exact timing of this psalm, perhaps by this time he had seen God use him to kill Goliath and deliver Israel from the threat of the Philistine giant. David had seen God's marvelous works throughout his life and he remembers those and he commits to praise God, to tell of God's marvelous works, to be glad and to rejoice in God. But here's the important point. David remembers God's marvelous works, but at the moment he remembers them, David is not delivered from his current threat. In crisis, with the outcome unknown in the present circumstance, David praised God for his marvelous works. He is not guaranteed deliverance this time. He does not know the future. He could be delivered again or not. Maybe he was pushed to the gates of death for the final time this time. But whatever happens in this particular situation... He has seen enough of the marvelous works of God. He knows God is worthy of praise. And so he is glad and he rejoices in God in the midst of the crisis. Uh, of the crisis. He's remembered God's marvelous deeds. And remembering all that God has done, he determines, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I know that many of us, maybe most of us, are going through something in our lives right now that we wish was different. Some of our circumstances represented within this congregation are more challenging than some, some others. But we all have things that are challenging us. We all have things that we wish were different. We all have things that are tempting us away from praising God. But like was true for David, God is worthy of our praise even in the midst of our trials, even though we don't know the outcome of the trial, because for all of us here today, the truth is that God has done marvelous 
things. If you look back, if you're a believer and you look back over your life, and if your mind is clear and honest and engaged, you're going to find some things that God has done for you that are worthy of you praising Him, even if life is very difficult for you right now. And if you're not a believer, I would like to suggest to you today that God has done some wonderful things for you as well, even if right now you may not recognize those things as being from the hand of God. God has done marvelous works for every single one of us in here today. First of all, life itself is one of God's marvelous works. With all of the pain and the suffering that comes with life, it remains true that life is a precious gift of God. It's a gift that every single one of us have received, believer and unbeliever alike, straight from the hand of God. Every breath is a marvelous work of God. Even an elementary understanding of our respiratory system, which is all that I have of it, should cause us to stand in awe of the marvelous deeds of God. The beauty of creation is a marvelous work of God. Every sunset that you have ever appreciated, every sunrise that has captured your attention with its beauty, these are marvelous works of God. These are things that we might call common grace, gifts that God gives to everybody. Whether they love him or not, whether they serve him or not, whether they belong to him or not, whether they've received Jesus as Savior, he just gives these gifts to everybody. They are marvelous works. And then for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we know God has done some marvelous works for us that go beyond life and go beyond the beauty of creation. God sent His Son Jesus to die for us, to reconcile us to Him. He provided a way for us, sinful as we are, to be made right with God, to be ready to spend eternity in the presence of God. The whole Bible is about how God makes people that aren't fit to be in His presence able to live with Him forever. What a marvelous work of God. God has given us His Word, the Bible. In it, He reveals Himself to us, gives us guidance for life, shows us how to live a life that pleases God and that ensures our best enjoyment of the present and of eternity. The Bible is one of God's marvelous works. We could go on and on, listing out all of the marvelous works of God that all Christians are recipients of. And then we have the marvelous works that God has done in our individual lives. I'll just share a few of mine. God took me from being a kid in middle and high school who would almost hyperventilate every time he was asked to read aloud in class and has empowered me to be able to get up in front of you every week and speak. And Thank you, Joe. And I almost never almost hyperventilate anymore. <laughs> Just every once in a while. Just every once in a while. When you look particularly mean, it happens. But otherwise, I'm, I'm good. 
God took me from being someone who felt like, now my mom says this isn't true, but I, I, I lived my teenage years, so I think it is. God took me from being someone who felt like every girl I was ever interested in was not actually nearly as interested in me as I was in her. And he sent me Michelle, who was really into me. Like, it was clear. She was really, really into me, which, which, which was a weird experience for me. Very weird. And now, 30 years later, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, she remains pretty into me. And so that's a good thing. God took me from being someone who thought I could be a pastor someday, that I, but that I probably wasn't cut out to be a lead pastor, and, and sent some really reputable voices into my life to tell me, no, you can and you should be a lead pastor. And I know that there are probably some of you who think that those voices were wrong. But you see, that's another thing that God has done for me. He has given me the ability to ignore you and dismiss your opinion. Before God did any of this for me, he gave me parents who loved the Lord and raised me around the people of God. When Michelle and I went 11 years without being able to conceive a child and we cried out in desperation to God, God answered our prayer and gave us Aaron. Aaron is one of God's marvelous works in our lives. <laughs> and Cassie Kiley is laughing about that. My goodness. And then after three miscarriages and all of the pain associated with that kind of loss, God gave us Austin. Austin is one of God's marvelous works in our lives. And I'll note his friends did not laugh at that. Might ought to check out your friends there, Aaron. <laughs> Why did it take 11 years for us to have Aaron? Why did we have to go through three miscarriages before having Austin? I don't know. I, I, I don't understand how that all works. As they say, that's above my pay grade. I, I don't know. But I know this. My kids are marvelous works of God in my life. And I could go on and on. And here's the reality. You might, you might want to think that what I'm about to say isn't true, but my life isn't perfect right now. There are things I wish were different, but I can praise God because I remember all of these marvelous works of God in my life. What are the marvelous works of God in your life? Whole heart praise will spring forth from you when you remember all the marvelous works that God has done for you. And friends, he has done them for you. If you will engage your mind and memory, you will be able to praise God for his marvelous works. If you're saying, I don't have anything to praise God about, I respectfully suggest to you that it's because you are not engaging your mind and memory. If you do that, you have reason to praise God. God's marvelous works aren't the only reason we praise him. The text reveals another reason. Whole heart praise occurs 
when we remember who God is. Separate from anything he does for us, we remember who God is. David wrote, I will praise, I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. He refers to God as the Most High. Referring to God as the Most High expresses God's uh, transcendence, his superiority over all other powers and over all created things. There is no one like him. There's no one equal to him. There's no force in the heavenly realm or the earthly realm that compares to him. Here's good news. Satan is not God's equal. (laughs) Satan is not God's equal. This isn't Star Wars, two equal powers of the force. You know, it's not like that. God is the most high. The most powerful governments and rulers on earth are nothing before our God. He alone spoke the world into existence. He alone sustains the universe. He alone knows the beginning from the end. Christ alone has defeated death, hell, and the grave. Before Christ alone, every single knee is going to bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. God alone will vanquish Satan, judge the living and the dead, right every wrong, and wipe away every tear. Whole heart praise occurs when we remember all of God's marvelous works and when we remember who he is. He is the most high. He alone is worthy of our praise because of who he is. And here's the truth. If he never does another marvelous work, he will. But if he didn't, he is still worthy of praise because of who he is. So David remembers God's marvelous works. He remembers who God is, the Most High. And it overflows into praise of God. And I want you to notice what happens when David remembers God's works and remembers who God is. His praise results in, overflows into singing. He writes, I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. Whole heart praise overflows into singing. Christianity is a singing faith. You say, well, Brian, I'm really just not much of a singer. Me neither. Well, Brian, I'm really not very good at singing. Me neither. I was laughed at in eighth grade when I was asked to sing the scale in front of the the choir. I I was laughed at by my peers and my teacher. Brian, I'm not a very good singer. Me, neither. (laughs) It's okay to laugh at that. I'm I'm okay with it at this point. You you guys look (laughs) appalled and very sad for me, but it's okay. I'm at peace with it. You say, music isn't really my thing like it is for some people. Me, neither. I listen to talk radio, rarely ever listen to music. But here's what I've found. 
Though I'm not much of a singer, though I'm not a good singer, though I'm really not into music the way some folks are, even with me, when I hear a song that actually touches my heart, my heart does overflow into singing. And here's something else that I've noticed. Even though I'm not really into singing, even though I'm not a very good singer, really not into music, when I engage my mind and my memory, when I remember all of God's marvelous works and I remember who he is, when I properly appreciate all of the works of God and when I properly appreciate who he is, even I then will overflow into singing. It's like that old song said, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he has done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah, thank God for saving me. When I get a vision of who God really is, my heart overflows with things like, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. I imagined singing these things as I said them today, but then I remembered my middle school experience, so I'm just <laughs> going to say them. When my mind and my memory think the most clearly about Jesus, I find myself overflowing in songs like, Isn't he wonderful? Wonderful isn't he? And then I answer the question, yes, you are wonderful. Wonderful. Yes, you are. Listen, we all have different personalities. I'm not going to stand up here today and tell you that if you really want to praise God, you, you have to be willing to sing like Kevin, look as joyful as Kevin does. I'm not going to tell you that. That's I want to tell you that, but I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you you have to sing as loudly as some of your fellow parishioners do. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to tell you that we all have to worship God in precisely the same way. But I am going to tell you that if you really remember who God is and what he's done, your heart really ought to overflow in singing praises to God. That, that really should happen. You see, singing to the Lord isn't something that's just suggested in Scripture. It is actually directed. It's not just a suggestion. It's a, it's a direction. Psalm 105.2 and many other places in Scripture give these type uh, of uh, directions. Sing to Him. Sing praise to Him. Tell of His wonderful acts. Ours is a singing faith. And you ought to be a person who overflows with such joy and appreciation for what God has done and who he is that you break forth in singing. Again, I'm not telling you exactly how it has to look, but I would suggest that the lips should part and noise should come out. Okay? That's kind of like the minimum threshold for overflowing in joyful singing. Lips part a little bit of noise comes out. And if that's hard work for you, I understand, but I would encourage you, engage the mind, engage the memory, 
Remember who God is and what he's done. And then remember how in every other area of your life, when something exciting happens, you kind of erupt in joy and praise. Anybody remember anything like that? Anybody remember anything you got excited about recently? Where you didn't worry about what people thought about you? You acted like an idiot in your expression of joy and praise? Anybody watch the game yesterday? I think that happened. <laughs> and I'm not even saying you have to respond like that. I'm just saying that there ought to be something that overflows in singing praises to the Lord. By the way, I want to commend Vineyard Christian Church. Because often we're, when we're in the middle of our worship service, and it was true today as well, I hear you singing. And I hear you singing actually quite loudly. United in your love and appreciation for the Lord. And this is a good thing. I am often, I often leave here impressed by the vocal participation in singing of our church family. And it is a beautiful thing, and I, I, I probably shouldn't even say this, I don't mean it as a criticism of other churches, but increasingly, worship services are becoming concerts. And it's not supposed to be that way. And so I am so appreciative that I hear you all, not just looking, but I hear you, or I don't just see you all looking, but I hear you uh, singing, and that is a wonderful thing. And I want you to know that your singing, no matter the quality of your voice, is beautiful to God because it is an expression of your heart's affection for, for him, your joy and your delight in him. And it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Whole heart praise engages the mind and the memory. Whole heart praise is unrestrained and joyful. Whole heart praise happens when we remember the marvelous works of God. Whole heart praise happens when we remember who God is. Whole heart praise overflows into singing. Christianity is a singing faith. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Let's stand.